in your house, in the presence of your people. Lord, that we have been able to sing songs of, of celebration, of wonder at who you are and all that you have done for us. Lord, we praise you because you are the great high God, the one who is greater, the one who is stronger, the one who is powerful, the one who is our God, the one who is on our side, the one who cares, the one who lifts up, the one who has brought us to the place where, where we have the promise that you are coming back and that you will gather together those who are yours. The one who alone has words of eternal life. As the disciples said to you, Lord Jesus, so we say continuously, where else have we to go when you alone have words of eternal life? And Lord, as we come and as we read through your word now, the experience of of the people of Israel, your people so long ago in the desert, Lord. We, we pray that you would op open our eyes to see what you are saying to us today. Lord, that you would open the, the eyes of our minds that we might see the message of salvation, the gospel, the good news in the Exodus. Lord, I pray that, that we would not leave this place with a mere ho-hum, but, but with a sense of God is on our side and God is bringing us to where He wants to take us. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. Father, those who are here among us who are not feeling at the top of their game, perhaps they're feeling down, perhaps they're feeling sick, I pray that you would bring relief. I pray that you would bring healing to those who need healing. For those who are on the mountaintop this morning, Lord, who are full of joy and excitement, I pray that, that you would help us to, to encourage those who are not. Thank you that you have called us together into this family. Thank you that you are the head of this family. Thank you that you are bringing us to yourself. Holy Spirit, I pray that the words of my mouth this morning would bring honor to the name of the Father through Jesus. Speak, I pray, through me. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you've got it, to Exodus chapter 17. Um, the last in part two of Exodus. Now, if you have been here four or five years ago, you'll remember we did part one of our Exodus uh, in 2008-ish, uh, and then this year we've done part two, and we've done uh, up until the end of chapter 17, and maybe next year, maybe three years after that, we'll do some more in Exodus. Hopefully quite soon, because it's exciting stuff, and we're almost at the Ten Commandments, believe it or not. So, Exodus chapter 17 Remember last week, they've crossed the Red Sea. We did that two weeks ago. They sang their songs of salvation. Last week, they arrived at, at Mara, where the water was bitter, and they grumbled, and then God made it drinkable, and then they grumbled again, and God just showed grace after grace after grace towards them. And He gave them manna from heaven. And we saw last week that this is a sign of, of how God is all that we need. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. We need him daily, every day. And then they went off and they grumbled again at Rephidim. And God gave them water from the rock. And we find them there, still camped at Rephidim. It's near to Mount Sinai. They're not far away from where God is going to 
reveal Himself and make a covenant with the people, the covenant at Sinai. But, but here we find them at Rephidim and something happens. Let's read verse 8. The Amalekites came and they attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. And so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went on to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on the, on the one side, one on the other side, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. And so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll. First time Moses is told to write something, by the way. The Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. And make sure that Joshua hears it. In case he forgot what he just did. <laughs> make sure Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the memory of the Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Make a good movie, wouldn't it? You'd, have, you'd probably have to pad it out with a bit of a backstory of who are these Amalekites and why are they attacking the Israelites and in fact, you'd probably start with Exodus chapter 1, make a really good movie, like trilogy in 17 parts. Fantastic. So, here we go, the Amalekites. Um, we don't know much about the Amalekites. In fact, from what I can tell, the only information we have about them is in the Old Testament. Amalek is the grandson of Esau. Um, not friends of the Israelites. In fact, we're told here that God says He's going to wipe them out. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. And, and, and 1 Samuel chapter 15, we read of Saul destroying the Amalekites. Um, but Saul being Saul does a half-botched job of it and keeps some of the stuff for himself and doesn't kill Agag, the Amalekite king. Um, Samuel does it for him. 1 Samuel chapter 30, we see David finally wiping out the Amalekites. And we think they're gone, and then we get to Esther, and you know the, the story of Esther, and, and Mordecai the Jew, and Haman, the guy who wants to destroy the Jews, wants to kill them all off? We're told that, that uh, Haman is an Agagite, probably a descendant of the Amalekite king. And, and here we go, just the history of these people want to wipe out the Jewish race. Want to wipe out God's people. Don't want them to enjoy the pleasure of God. And here are the Israelites, and they're sitting, they're enjoying their time at Rephidim. Plenty of water God's provided miraculously when Moses hit the rock. And we're told in Deuteronomy chapter 25 that that the Amalekites ambushed the Israelites. 
while they were unawares, the Amalekites came behind and they, and they attacked some stragglers. They, they attacked those who were, who were sort of off to the back. And they just went to war. They were the aggressors. They attacked the stragglers and through the stragglers they went to war against the Israelites. Moses and Joshua had to respond. And I can't just help thinking about that. Isn't it so often the way that the devil works against God's people? Traps those who are lagging behind, perhaps struggling in their spiritual walk, And then we have the full frontal attack that follows. Anyway, what's happening here? Why is this such a big deal? Why do we read of this? Why does God for the first time say to Moses, write it down? And Moses, build an altar of remembrance. Why? Why is this a big story? Why is this a big battle? Well, let me tell you, well, the reason why this is such an important event is that the Amalekites aren't just going to battle against another nation. They are going to battle against the people of God and they're going to try and wipe them out and they're going to try and put a stop to God's plans and purposes and promises. God said, I will take you into the promised land. I said I would. I'm doing it. I've rescued you from Egypt, those Egyptians who tried to stop you. Look what happened to them. They, they got a bit wet. They drowned. They're dead. And if the Egyptians want to stop my plans and purposes, and this is how I act, says God, what is going to happen to the Amalekites, or in fact, any other people who stand in the way of what I am doing? You see, the reason this is such an important battle, well, there's two reasons, but, but the big reason is that God will not be thwarted in His plans and purposes for His people. And what a fantastic thing for us. God doesn't have to go to war against nations because He's already won the victory. But His plans cannot be thwarted. I'm sure you all know Romans chapter 8. What can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Zippo, writes Paul. The other thing that makes this an interesting battle is that this is the first time that the Israelites fight. Think of their last great military victory, the one that is spoken of even when they're going into the promised land and Rahab the prostitute says, oh, we've heard about what happened at the Red Sea where you guys took up your swords and heroically bashed your way through the Egyptian army. No. We heard about the Red Sea where you just walked across and God destroyed the army. Did you escape Egypt by your prowess? No. God delivered you. And yet here in chapter 17, verse 8 to 16, we see the Israelites themselves taking up their swords and fighting against the Amalekites. And it's a battle on three fronts. Joshua commanding the forces of Israel. First time we hear about Joshua, really. Joshua, the man who's going to lead them into the promised land. Moses 
Aaron, her, they're up on the mountain. Moses has got the rod of star, the, the staff of God, the rod of God in his hands. The one he used to display God's power and might in Egypt. There's a front in the valley. There's a front on the mountain. And, and notice, notice the, the way God is at work here. Because these are God's agents in the valley. And these are God's agents up on the hill. Moses and Aaron and Hur are not just spectators watching the battle. They're active. Joshua and the Israelite troops, the best of the troops, are not just the ones who are winning the battle because it seems that, that the fate is not determined on how good a soldier they are because the battle swings to and fro. Whether they're on the hill or in the valley, both are agents of God and both are working in partnership with God. Let's have a look. What's happening? In the valley, in the valley. Here are God's agents, the Israelite warriors. What are we told here? Um, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. And I'm sure Joshua goes, right, let's choose the best of the best of the best. We'll go and we'll fight. Why? Surely God, who has just wiped out the strongest army of the strongest nation of the world at the time, could just snap his finger or blow with, blow with his breath and destroy the Amalekites without them. Why doesn't God wipe out the enemy without the Israelites having to get their hands dirty? Instead, Joshua goes out into the battlefields and they have to fight. And if they hadn't been willing to throw themselves into the battle, and if they hadn't been willing to keep on throwing themselves into the battle, the battle would not have been won. Now this story is not about introducing us to Joshua, this mighty warrior, fantastic warrior old Joshua, wonderful man of God, but he hardly writes in the story. Two mentions. This story has a very simple point as far as the valley is concerned. The point is that the battle belongs to the Lord. Because when Moses' hands are raised to the Lord, the battle goes well. And when Moses' hands fall down, the battle goes poorly. And yet they had to fight. Because God said... I am in partnership with you. Or to put it better, I'm calling you into partnership with me, even as I bless you. So there's them in the valley, they're, they're fighting away, but on the hill we see Moses and Aaron and Hur. 
It's a very unfortunate name, her. Go and ask her. God's agents on the hill. And God's working through them. And, and, and I think it's quite telling, as I said, that Moses has got his staff because it's not about Moses' power up on the hill. It's not some magic trick. This is God at work. And yet, on the hill, God is also saying, I'm calling you into partnership with me. Because what happens when Moses' arms are lowered, the battle starts going poorly. Moses' responsibility is to keep holding the battle before the Lord. And it seems that if he failed, the battle would be lost. So why, why did he take Aaron and her up with him? He knew his arms would get tired. <laughs> he knew he needed the other two with him. You see, the amazing thing is that God not only calls us into partnership with Him as He leads us to be with Him forever. Remember the song in, uh, just after the crossing of the Red Sea, chapter 15? Leading us to His home. God says, be partners with me in this journey. But He also says, and we see here, partner with one another as you partner with me in this journey. There are no solitary Christians. Galatians 6.2, we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Moses, as he held his hands up, as he, I think, held the people up to God in prayer, he was bearing the battle, bearing the Israelites to God. And on each side of him, Aaron and her bearing Moses as Moses bore the people to God. We do need encouragement from one another and we need the strength of one another when our own strength gives out. And I can tell you something. Aaron and her would have been going like this for the next week. I mean, Moses would have... Ah, but Moses' hands up all day. Aaron and her holding a hand up each all day until sunset. It was hard work. And again, I wonder why. Why does the simple act of holding up his hands have such a profound effect on the battle? Ooh. I wish it was told to us in the Bible. All we're told is that Moses went up on the hill and he lifted his hands to God and, and Aaron and her, they, they probably haven't got a clue what's happening, but they see when Moses' hands go down, things go badly. The battle goes down and so they hold him up and they spring into action. Because the hill is where the battle is truly won. Which is perhaps why 
God says, make sure Joshua hears about this. As Joshua was down on the battlefield, Joshua was in the thick of it, but he needed to know it wasn't the might of the warriors of Israel that won. Although they certainly played their part in partnership. But the real reason they won was because God was at work. We see in verse 15 that, that Moses builds an altar and he calls it, The Lord is my banner. The Lord is the standard under which we march. Verse 16 explains to us what the altar means. You can translate it two different ways. You can either say, um, the New Living Translation, um, they have raised their fist against the Lord's throne. As if to say, this is the place where God went to war against his enemies. But I like the NIV translation better where it says, verse 16, um, built an altar, called that the Lord is my banner. He said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. were lifted up. I'll build an altar of remembrance so that every generation from now will pass by here and see this altar and realize that hands were lifted up to the Lord as in stretching out to God for help and God delivered and God saved. And for me, that is, that is petitionary prayer. That is, that is asking God for deliverance, for help. I do think Moses wasn't just holding up his hands there, thinking there's nothing better to do. He was, oh God, pray that the battle below goes well. Maybe not verbalizing it because his throat would be dry after a whole day, but, but praying for the battle, and for the people, and saying, God, we need your help. We cannot but fail without you. And God helps. Our ever-present refuge in times of trouble. You remember one of my favorite stories, Peter in jail, about to get executed, and the church is going, oh, praying all night, God save Peter, God save Peter. We don't think you can, but God save Peter. Amen. Knock at the door. Must be his ghost, God save Peter. I hear Peter is miraculously released from jail led by an angel through a locked gate. The gate opens, arrives at the church, who was praying for him, and they don't realize that God has answered their prayers. And for the church in Acts, it seems like prayer was a last resort, the last thing, oh well, there's nothing we can do, so God, maybe... But we get such a different picture in Exodus chapter 17, don't we? You see what happens? We have people praying and doing. God doesn't say, Moses, take the Israelites up on the mountain, every single one of them, and watch as I destroy the Amalekites. Pray all the time. Can do. 
But more often than not, I think God says, pray and do. Do and pray. Partnership with me. Let me use you. Let me work my salvation through you. I mean, why do we exist as a church? Any church. Surely we could just sit at home and go, God, please save the people who don't know you yet. We were talking about this in Bible study the other day. Is it really the most useful thing to spend all of our time praying, God, save those who don't know you, if we don't actually get out and tell them? Or if we're not part of a team? You see what here? Some are praying, some are going. And neither would have won the battle by themselves, I don't think. We need to pray. We need to do. New suburbs, let's pray for them. But let's do something about it as well. New people moving into your streets, let's pray for them. Let's do something about it as well. Friends who don't know Christ and who we've never bothered to share our joy with, let's pray for them, absolutely. But let's tell them about Him as well. Let's raise our hands to God and let's go. And perhaps some of you are going, well, you know what, I'm not really a Joshua. I don't think I'm, I'm there on the valley floor. Fantastic. Then you go up on the hill and you pray and raise those who are going to the Lord. Bear them. Use the gifts, the calling. But don't use prayer as an excuse for not going. Which, if we're honest, I think we are all tempted to do at times. Now the astute amongst you will be going, Ha! This guy can't count. Right at the beginning he said, This is a battle on three fronts. You remember that? There's the front in the valley, there's the front on the mountaintop. Where on earth is this third front? Let me answer with a question. Why did God say he would destroy the Amalekites? Because they were out to destroy God's people. Because they were out to not only destroy the Israelites, but to thwart God's plans to save you and I. God's plans to bring Jesus. Because you see, this, this isn't just another battle. This is, this is part of a war. A war that came to the head on the cross and in the empty tomb. And this is the third front. Our battle is not against this world or people, but it's against principalities and powers. You see, this is the third front. The cosmic battle 
that is raging against God's purposes and plans. And we still have the same enemy, really, who still wants to, if possible, deceive the elect. He wants to destroy those who are followers of God, who wants to cut us off. The third front is the spiritual front, which is why we need to put on the armor of God, and particularly we need to pray. But the great thing about the third front is that this front has already been won. This front has already been accomplished. Jesus has already been raised up. Not his hands, but his whole body, his whole person for us. And God has looked down and said, I have helped. I have rescued. I have redeemed. And now we are in partnership. What are you to do? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Put on the armor. The shield by which the fiery darts of the enemy can be extinguished. You know, there were some people of the Israelites, I'm sure, that day who didn't make it through the battle alive. The battle was real and costly. Even Moses up on the hill felt the weight physically in his body. The battle is still costly and can still take a toll. But God's on our side. God is one. Jesus never gets tired of holding us before the Father. We have a great high priest, says Hebrews, who stands forever before the throne of God, who intercedes for us. through whom no accusation can come to the Father against us. What a great battle. What a great story. Having that altar there, that remembrance for the Israelites, God is the one who has saved us. God has invited us to work with Him. We have a far greater memorial empty cross and a risen Lord.